So we're, we're dealing with uh, this um, subject of what God is saying to us through not only the words of Jesus, but his life and ministry. John, uh, when he began his gospel, very first verse says, in the beginning was the word. And he's talking about Jesus. He makes that clear later in verse 14. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He wants us to know that the things that follow are included in this gospel to help us hear what God is saying to us through his son. Now, I said there a moment ago when I was giving you some direction about how to get to the gospel of John that there are four gospels. And when we use the term gospel in this way, we are talking about books that give us the, the story of the life and ministry of Jesus. And I said there's four of them. Why would that be? Is that, you know, is God redundant? No. Anytime anything happens, uh, let's say you have four people observing the same incident. All four of those people are going to have a different view of what happened. Whenever um, there is some kind of, uh, uh, you know, incident of any sort, news reporters, uh, police officers, they want to get as many uh, eyewitness accounts as they can. They want to try to build the whole story because every one of us comes to whatever event or situation we're dealing with from a little different perspective. We come with different um, viewpoints on things. We come with different desires. We, there are things that are more important to us or higher priorities than they would be for somebody else. So the Bible gives us these four views of the life of Jesus and therefore we get a much bigger, broader, rounder uh, perspective on Jesus' life. But each of the gospel writers comes to their role under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit with a different desire, a different viewpoint. And John's is to help us hear what God is saying to us through the life and ministry of Jesus. And so he has selected out of all of the miracles that Jesus performed, seven to include with uh, detailed description in his gospel. And we're looking at those to see what God is saying to us through what Jesus did in performing these miracles. And that brings us to John chapter 6 and, the la and uh, verse 15. We're going to read verses 15 to 21. And this happens right after what we talked about last week, where Jesus fed 5,000 men, not including women and children, so upwards of 10 to 15,000 people. Jesus fed them all with five loaves and two fish. And not only just so that everybody got a little, but that they got all they wanted. It was a marvelous, wonderful miracle. Right after that, this happens. Verse 15. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king... He departed again to the mountain by himself alone. The people have observed, and John alludes to this, have observed Jesus healing many people. Although John doesn't give us descriptions of all those, he tells us that the reason these crowds are following him is because he's healing people. So people are being uh, healed of their diseases, and then on top of that, Jesus, uh, out of thin air, feeds them all, and these people are charged up to make him king, and you would be too. 
These people are under the thumb of the Roman Empire. The Israelites have lost their country, their nation. It's under the oppression of the Roman Empire. And these folks see in Jesus the Messiah. And in their mind, Messiah means, yeah, son of God, but also our king. And they were projecting on him this idea that he's going to liberate us from the oppression of the Roman Empire. And they've got a lot of people gathered together and crowd think begins to take place. And you know, uh, crowds can kind of take on a life of their own. And they figure, we've got enough people here to make a significant political party. We're going we're gonna to move forward in making Jesus our guy. And, and Jesus will have none of it. In fact, he slips away from them into a deserted place. Verse 16. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, the boat they'd come on, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. Now when it says over the sea, it doesn't mean they crossed the middle of the Sea of Galilee. It means they kind of cut the corner of the northern, north, uh, eastern part of the Sea of Galilee. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. And when it uses that word great, in the original language, it's the word megas. In Greek, it's megas. We use mega to describe something that's really huge, really big. And so this was not just a slight breeze. This was a tumultuous, hurricane kind of force wind that they're facing out there on the sea. <clears throat> And John wants us to understand that. Now, John, the one writing this, was a fisherman. He made his living on the Sea of Galilee. He had faced everything that, that nature and, and weather could throw at you out there. And if he says this is a mega storm, then you know it was no small thing. Because I don't know what you do for a living, but, you know, I just know how it goes. Whatever you are, you know, proficient at when you get together with people who are not and uh, you, you, you want to kind of show them that you know what you're doing. And so we tend to say, oh, this is nothing. You should have been here in 84. Now that was a real thing, right? We do that kind of stuff, right? Or just me. But anyway, so John, when he says this was a mega storm, he's not kidding. Okay. Verse 19. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, and what you wouldn't know is that that's about halfway to where they're going. So they've only made it about halfway. They saw Jesus walking on the sea, drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. We know from the other gospel writers that this was about... They, they, set, they set off in the evening, and this is about the fourth watch of the night, so now they're almost daybreak, and they've only made it three or four miles rowing against this wind. And they see Jesus uh, walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat. And this is interesting to me because it would be sufficient just to say, then they received him into the boat. But John adds this word willingly on purpose because it, the original word has to do with choice, decision that's made. Not just, you know, Jesus shows up at the boat kind of like knocking on the door and they willingly let him in. It's no, they said, please come into the boat. They, this was an act of choice. 
they uh, drew him in. And then it says immediately, not three, four hours later, immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. So pretty miraculous thing that just takes place here in these few verses. And I want to go back through it and talk to you a little bit about what I think uh, God is saying through what Jesus did here to us. And I think that ha has to do with what it's like when you feel alone. Anybody here ever felt alone, isolated, cut off? I see a lot of heads knocking, knocking, nodding. <laughs> when my head nods, it knocks because it's rattling around in there, but anyway. <clears throat> but even more than just that feeling of being alone, I think that this is more specifically addressed to us when we feel abandoned by God. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I would, I would assume uh, that there are a few of us here who know what that's like. When you feel like, God, where did you go? I, I, I thought we were on the same team here. I thought we were pursuing the same end and the same goal, and now I feel like I'm on my own. <clears throat> it's a terrible feeling. It's hopeless. It's discouraging. It's fearful. And you know what? I think these guys felt that way in the middle of the night, having rode their brains out and made no progress, and Jesus isn't with them. And I think the Lord is speaking to us out of this example of what it's, how we, I think the Lord wants us to understand how we get in that place, and then what to do about it when we find ourselves there. Now, <clears throat> let me backpedal just a little bit. I, I've already told you that the Gospels, the four of them, give us four viewpoints on the life of Jesus so that we see him uh, in, a, in a broader way. <clears throat> Three of the Gospel writers, John, that we've just read, and then two others, Matthew and Mark, record this story for us. Luke does not. In Matthew's account, uh, w when it gets to the point where Jesus is coming to them walking on water, some of you would know that the story begins to focus on Peter because Peter says, if that's really you, call, ask me to get out on the water and walk to you. And Jesus says, come on. And you've heard the story of Peter walking on the water. Jesus get, or Peter gets out of the boat and he walks until he starts to, uh, his faith starts to fail and then he starts to sink. Jesus saves him. And that becomes the, the focus of the story. Every kid that's ever been to Sunday school has heard that story. <clears throat> John doesn't even mention that. Does that mean it didn't happen? No. It just means that what John thought was important, what he was focused on as he observed this, wasn't about Peter's uh, you know, thing. That was powerful and wonderful and worthy study in and of itself. But what John was focused on was what the disciples were experiencing in the boat with Jesus not there. And so I'm going to ask you to kind of cut me some slack this morning. I'm not going to try to piece together all three of those accounts of this uh, story to fill it all the way out. 
I'm just going to look at what John said. What was important to him? And he tells us that when the people wanted to make him king, he distanced himself from them. He, he, he sent them away. The other gospel writers tell us he sent them away. In fact, tells, tells the other gospel, Matthew and Mark tell us he sent the disciples away to cross the sea in the, in the boat. John doesn't say that. John says they got in the boat and left. It doesn't really matter. The point is that Jesus distanced himself from the notion that he should become their king. And yes, the people that he, the multitudes that he just fed felt that way, but it's clear the disciples must have also. Because uh, it tells us in the end, of, when Mark is describing this, he says that after this all uh, ends up, uh, and, and you know, after Jesus walking on the water and all of that, it, sa it says that, that the disciples still didn't get it. They still didn't understand why Jesus fed the people because their hearts were hardened. So we, we know that the disciples were likely on the same page with the multitudes. Yes, let's make him king. And I want to tell you that right there is where most of us end up finding ourselves in that place where we feel abandoned by God. When we want to impose our agenda on him. Ever done that? Yeah, don't raise your hand. I have more times than I can tell and more times than I wish. And here's what usually happens. I'll be in a quandary about how to proceed with some area of my life and, and it will appear as though the Lord is heading off and wanting me to follow him in a certain direction and I'll tuck myself in behind him for a bit and then when I think I know where he's going, that's when I say, I got it. I'll take it from here. Bad, bad choice. <laughs> and that's where I end up. Now, here's what is Jesus supposed to do? He can't sign on to what they want for him. And so, he lets them, if that's the direction you're going, I'm not. It's, you know, and I want to be careful here because the Bible says that, that the Lord never leaves us or forsake us, ta forsakes us. So, so don't get me wrong here. But in some way, at least in how it feels, distance begins to open up between us and his will because they're not the same. The thing that I'm pursuing is not the same as his. And he can't go there. And that's what happens here. Distance opens up. And the guys find themselves out on the, out on the sea in the middle of the night fighting against a storm, a mega storm. And you know what? I can promise you, when you decide to impose your agenda on Jesus, you will quickly find yourself in a storm. You will. Why? Because we have an enemy who will, wants to exploit 
that vulnerability that you have in those moments. He wants to make it as bad as he can make it. You know what it feels like when it, it seems like there's just a swarm of, of stuff coming at you from every direction. He is very good at doing that because he wants to discourage you, defeat you, try to get you to turn against God, to be so angry and upset that you'll walk away from him. Count on it. It will happen. You will be overtaken by a storm. Now we have some choices to make, and we almost always make the wrong one. Here's what I usually do. When I find myself in that place where I, I don't know where Jesus went to, and every, it's, uh, literally all hell has broken loose, here's what I usually do. I just roll my brains out. I work as hard as I can to try to keep going on the path that I think I should go. Anybody here ever done that? That's what the disciples do. They just row hard. Trouble is, it wears you out and you don't make any progress. They've, they've spent all night and they, they're nowhere near their destination. And then that's when something very interesting can usually happen. And we, could, we, we, don't ha we can miss it. <clears throat> Jesus will show up. Now I say we can miss it. But you know, in, in, in Mark's account, he said when Jesus came walking on water, it, it, he describes it as though Jesus was going to pass them by. It's not that he, that was his intention, but that, you know, he, he's going to go where he's going to go right? We can miss it. But here's the thing. It almost always feels when Jesus shows up in our boat in the storm and we're rowing our guts out, when he shows up there, it's almost always unnerving. It's not what we expect. It's not what we're looking for. And it always feels just a little bit, whoa, And in fact, I feel like there's probably a, a handful of us in this room for whom this moment is that moment where you've, you've been rolling your guts out in a storm and it feels like the Lord has abandoned you, but actually right now, right now, He's showing up. And it's just a little bit for you right now. When I said that, when I said those words, it felt to you like a little bit like, whoa, really? Because you weren't expecting that. We kind of get accustomed to just rowing away. When he shows up there, we're not quite ready for it, but he's, he is here. He's here. And now, do we choose him? Do we choose to ask him in the boat to turn over the helm? 
to confess, Lord, I, I really don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. I'm worn out and I, I missed something somewhere and I think that something somewhere was you. Pivotal, pivotal, pivotal point. But then, Jesus is able to cause us to arrive where we belong. See, we figure that by this point, we've gotten so far off course that the way back, not to mention getting to where he wants us to go, but just getting back to the fork in the road where we left him, is going to be an arduous journey. But the grace and mercy and power of our God is so, so great that he is able, when we come with true repentance and surrender to him, to make immediate things happen. To cause us to find ourselves, wow, okay. <laughs> because really it's not about the destination anyway. It's about who we're with and where he's going. So as soon as we surrender, take our hands off the wheel, choose to take the back seat, we are then where we belong. Now, I want to wrap this up by praying for you because I feel like, as I said a moment ago, I think there may be a few of us for whom, um, let me back up and say that some of us are going to tuck these things away in our hearts and minds and at some future point when we find ourselves in this spot, we're going to remember what Jesus was saying to us through this miracle. But I think there are a handful of us right now who are there. You're there right now. And I believe the Lord wants to change everything. This is recording number 11251 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, March 19, 2017. This is the fifth message in a series titled, Jesus. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, When You Feel Alone.